Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Holland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 80,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for photographer Ira Giorgetti. Kind of see what the London freelance scene was about because it's very different to Asia. I came here with nothing. <laughs> I came here with some bits of camera equipment, my clothes. Like I just packed up my life and kind of went. People say like business to client, business to business. None of that exists because businesses are made up of people. So the only one that is real is like human to human. People you work with are always going to remember how you make them feel. For me, it's more about the relationships you build and how that translates to continued work with return clients because as they grow, you grow. And if you help them, they'll help you. So there is Ira, who is from the Philippines via Italy, currently living in London. All will become clear very soon indeed. But he's a photographer, both individually, but also via his own studio, Studio Ventana, I think it is. We'll end up talking about that, no doubt. Anyway, links through to everything that Ira is up to, as for all our guests at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, make sure you check out the community. Click through, come join us. We do live Q&As, for example. We have the Non-Employee of the Week Awards, where we celebrate and reward a freelancer each week. It's a great place to ask questions for support. Honestly, please come and join us. There's a link through from beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, should we crack on and chat to this week's guest? And that is freelance photographer Ira Giorgetti. Hey, Ira. Hi. Hi, Steve. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Okay, so... I used to live in the Philippines, and that's where I went to university for my bachelor's degree. And I started working then, uh, just doing little jobs here and there as a photographer. And I ended up mainly doing photography for fashion. First for myself, because at the time, this website called Lookbook was really big, and I was starting to get a lot of traction on it. And I started to work with brands in the Philippines who were looking for, like, uh, fashion photography content and like mind you this is like gosh it's like 10 years ago <laughs> this is like 2009 to like 2011 when the whole of the internet I guess was just on the verge of exploding in terms of content and yeah I started out there I actually went on a reality tv show in the Philippines as a photographer cool that did not go so well because I was a <laughs> I was 18, let's just put it that way. And uh, I was not ready for that, for all of that. But it gave me some really good experience and it brought in my horizons. So when I did move to the UK eventually, uh, I already had a feel for like what freelancing was like. Mind you, it was kind of hard because I basically had to start from scratch because no one here knew anything about the Philippines or like the clients I, I worked with there or like the brands I worked with there. So it was really like, a brand new start in 2015, 2016 when I first came here. So how did you get those first clients when you were in the Philippines? I had a little bit of help. I'll admit to that. My family has always been in advertising. And I mean, so much so that I was on my first photo shoot when I was like three. 
Um, <laughs> one of the toddler models didn't show up, and my mom, who was an art director at the time, was like, "Just use my kid. We can just pay him in McDonald's," and <laughs> and that's how it went. Leading up to uni, I wanted to be a doctor, but my mom said, "Why don't you do something creative?" So that's what I did in the end. Uh, I studied film. Wow, it's usually the other way around. <laughs> I know, especially for like for like Asian moms. You know, it's really weird to hear that. No, don't do medicine. Do something in the arts. But I've always had that sort of background. And uh, right out of high school, my godmother gave me an internship at her uh, at her company because she was a VP at a news agency. So that's when I did some crazy things. Like I was a paparazzi for a little bit. I I had to like run into a burning building once because like city hall was on fire. And I I came home smelling of barbecue and my mom berated my godmother after that. And I was never sent into a burning building again. I was, uh, I was mainly stuck in the office after that. But that's kind of how I started. Uh, an internship at a news agency and eventually just uh, through social media at the time, because Instagram was super new, Twitter was super new, the whole blogger influencer thing was super new. So obviously the market back in Asia was a lot smaller then. So it was quite easy for me to start getting my name out there and getting jobs. But then you come over to the UK and you had to start from scratch, uh, but and in quite an expensive city as well. So how did you how did you crack on? So in 2012, when I first came to the UK, I was. I was actually looking to speak to my biological father, um, but I found my partner instead. <laughs> uh, we met here in London in 2012, and we were long distance for like three, four years. And then I moved here. So I moved in with him. Oh, my God. Do you realize you've used about three stories that could have easily been in the truth and lie bit at the end of this episode? Oh, I've got those ready for you. Uh, the reality <laughs> TV show went into a burning building and then went to find your biological father, but instead found your partner. Like, it, it, these are all amazing stories. I know. Someday I have to write <laughs> these into a screenplay because this would yes. make an excellent Netflix series, my life. So did you simply come over to the UK to try and find your biological father, as in that was the only reason for the trip? I was 20 at the time, and my parents um, decided to send me to London because usually we would go to Italy to visit family every summer, and I would go with my dad somewhere else. But as I was 20 years old then and not 13 anymore, he was like, you know what, just go to London and you know explore a bit, see what you feel. Like, I mean, they knew what I was going to do given the opportunity to come here. Funny enough, my biological dad lives in Bali, so I flew all that way for nothing. But <laughs> uh, uh, I discovered that when I got here. But um, I also, I, I mean, I was in London, so I wanted to see what was around. I was single at the time, and I met Ryan, and we're still wow. together now. <laughs> so you then, so you then went back to the Philippines, had a long-term relationship, and then came back here in 2016 yes because uh, that's when i finally finished my bachelor's degree uh that took uh, me forever i took so many breaks I, I i went to culinary school i went backpacking i went i did so many things that delayed my graduation but um the second i finished my partner said you are going to move here eventually for our relationship you should do it now because we don't know what the situation is going to be in this country moving forward in terms of letting people from the EU in. Uh, and I guess he was right. Because, <laughs> I mean, because my partner is, uh, he's from Yorkshire, uh, and he predicted everything, like, way early on. And he just wanted 
our relationship to be safe, which is why I moved right away. And to be clear, is that because you've you've got some Italian nationality passport type thing as well, have you? Italian passport? Yeah. So right. I'm British Filipino by descent, but I am now Italian by citizenship because my adoptive father like adopted me like in every way. So <laughs> hence being f- from the EU. So Okay, but so even so, so you're in London, you've got somewhere yeah. to stay, obviously, you know people, but you don't have any freelance clients. Oh gosh, no. Like, I knew no one. I didn't know people. Honestly, like, the, the people I knew here were my partner, his best friend, my friend from the Philippines, she was studying here at the time, and that's it. I mean, I met my half-sister, uh, but she wasn't London-based at the time. That, that was re- I, I came here with nothing. <laughs> I came here with like some bits of camera equipment, um, my clothes. Like I just packed up my life and kind of went. I mean, my parents, my parents helped me out for like the first six months because they knew it was like not an easy thing to do. But they also said like, if you're gonna do this, and you'd better be ready, and you'd <laughs> you'd better be ready to make it on your own because like we're not gonna support you forever. So how did you? Gosh. Um, Social media, really. I guess how every photographer starts out, uh, there's usually only one or two paths for photographers. Either you start out assisting, either with one or a few photographers, or at a studio where they like they assign you to photographers who run the studio, or you just take the dive and you go full up freelance. Um, although that's often a less structured route but allows you for more freedom and often you get to do what you want and not spend hours and hours on shoots that you don't feel add to your practice. Uh, But I just started on Facebook groups, really. I was just hunting down ways to build my network and to meet more people and kind of see what the London freelance scene was about because it's very different to Asia. So yeah, I think Facebook and Instagram at the time were my main channels. So on Facebook, you were going into groups and doing what? Introducing yourself as a photographer? or Oh, no. Uh, people often post like job listings, like freelance gigs there. Uh, okay. And they're not great. <laughs> I, I have to immediately warn anyone listening to this. Uh, jobs on Facebook groups, nine out of ten of them are underpaid, will overwork you and undervalue you. And maybe 50% of the time is something you won't be able to put in your portfolio. But... When you literally are at a point where you don't know what to do or what's happening, like you kind of you kind of go for what's in front of you. <laughs> and on Instagram, what were you doing there? I was just trying to post consistently because I had to transition my profile from a person who was in the Philippines, someone who worked more with my own brand of like personality. Like people in the Philippines would follow my work because. Uh, there were basically mostly pictures of me or pictures I took of other like models back there. Um, but it wasn't like very commercial work. It wasn't like anything to, it had nothing to do with advertising or anything like that. It was just a bit of fashion here and there. When I came here, I really had to build up my book from the ground up. And I think I only have maybe one to three photos in my portfolio now that are from the philippines most of them i've shot in the last like one to two years to three years here mm. but did you keep your your own personality your own face as part of it on instagram 
Yeah. Um, so I'm very much my own person still in terms of like Instagram stories at least. But I now run two separate Instagrams, if that makes sense. I have one that caters to my original audience, mostly women and gay men who are looking for really nice pictures of male models, uh, both for fashion editorial and for portraits. And then I run my sort of agency brand, Studio Ventana, on Instagram as well. And that's where all of my lookbooks and my commercial work and my advertising work That's where I post all of that because I find that on Instagram, you have to be really specific with the people you want to show your content to. So people who follow my main Instagram do not want to see pictures of like Revlon makeup styled in interesting ways. That just doesn't appeal to them. They just want to see boys either in cool clothes or very few clothes. (laughs) (laughs) And my clients, on the other hand, whilst they mainly follow my main Instagram as well to see what I'm up to in terms of Instagram stories and stuff, they mostly interact with me and message me on my Studio Ventana one because that is where the work they like to see is shown and curated. Cool. Okay, so let's go back into your story because I feel like we're jumping towards (laughs) Studio Ventana, whereas to begin with, it was... It was just you, right? So how did it evolve? You start getting bits and pieces of work. Yeah, so, um, and this is probably what I would advise to any photographer out there, especially in London at this point in time. People you work with are always going to remember how you make them feel and how you guys get along on set, even off set, even in emails, even in phone calls. And a lot of, I guess, my growth, my, my development, my success, I would really have to link to making a good impression, showing up, and doing good work. And I'm, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn there, but honestly, that is, at this point in time, probably the best differentiating factor you can hope to achieve in the short term. Because... Okay, I'm, I don't want to be cynical, but people always tell photographers, you need to have like a style, a, a personal style where people can see your photos and they immediately know it's you uh, who took the photo. And you have, that has to be your brand. And people have to recognize your work like in the first three seconds. That is not something you can do in five years' time. That is something that people like... Annie Leibovitz and Tim Walker have spent a career like building and refining and perfecting that look, that like Tim Walker look. You just know that that like surreal, very cold fashion editorial that's wild with like planes coming in through the window, all of that stuff. You know immediately it's him, but how do you do that in a market that moves this fast where people have to be churning out content like on the daily? For me... It's more about the relationships you build within the industry and how that translates to continued work with return clients. Because as they grow, you grow. And if you help them, they'll help you. So I often find, well, I've I've found that to be the case, at least for me. I'm not sure if I answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great answer there. Mm. It's a really nice point. So basically, you just keep doing good work and being nice to people. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it 
that comes into play professionally. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's arts or law or medicine. There's just, there's just some things that are standard. If you can't deliver on the brief, then you didn't deliver on the brief. But if you delivered on the brief and you were a dick to everyone on set, <laughs> I swear they will never call you back. They would rather have someone with a little bit less proficiency, but is easy to get along with, like gives people the feeling of ease and lightness and who doesn't like focus on problems and would rather create things creatively with solutions, if that makes sense. Um, mm. And just an, as an example, I, I've worked with a few producers who on our first project or two, I mean, they were just working direct the client on some very small sort of like promotional material. But eventually they become producers at agencies and if they like the work and they like you, they'll often remember you and they will be the ones to reach out to you, which I have found both like heartwarming because oh, people, people, people remember me. And also like a sign, I guess, that I'm doing something right. Mm. So at what point did you start to work as a studio name rather than just yourself? I got to a point, I guess, of frustration because uh, I do work direct the client myself quite a lot of the time. And they will often give me responsibilities that are honestly really meant for producers. Um, they'll ask me to quote them for like to prepare an estimate for a project, but they want me to cast the models. They want me to scout locations or find a specific studio that works for them. And they want me to do the logistics and to, to, to fill in all the other roles and all of that. And that's the point where I eventually told myself, you know what? It's hard to build a reputation as a photographer who does everything, I guess, in that sense. I mean, I don't do everything now. I, I only do like uh, fashion and lifestyle uh, with a bit of still life. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is they wanted an end-to-end -end solution. And it's hard to present that to clients as a single person. Because how can a single person like be responsible for all of that in their minds, at least? Uh, it's hard for them to like wrap their heads around that idea. So they, they, they feel a lot more at ease when they see a website that looks like an agency to them. Because I don't have any full-time employees. Everyone I work with is also a freelancer, uh, sometimes represented, sometimes fully freelance. But it gives a sense that this is more than just one person taking pictures. This is like a solution to my business. That's the feeling. Awesome. So when faced repeatedly with clients looking for the everything shop, you decide to, instead of turning them down or just saying, no, I can't do that. I'm the photographer. You find everything else and I'll do it. You decide to go out and find the other freelancers to work with you and provide that solution. Yeah. Um, and I kind of package everything and liaise with everyone in such a way that I am at this point. Uh, a creative producer as well as a photographer and you know what it's I think it's also because clients want agency grade work 
but can't always afford agency-grade prices. But they still want to feel like they're working with an agency. So when they work with me and I handle everything, I'm basically like an account manager and also the photographer, sometimes director if there's video involved. And I'm the one handling like all the logistics of post-production. It just kind of feels a bit more familiar to them. Um, and it's easier for me to handhold them through whatever processes that they might not yet fully grasp, uh, especially with, I'm, I'm working with a few Asian clients now who are entrepreneurs. They, they know nothing about content and media production and they literally just give all their trust to me. They're like, oh, we trust that you'll, you'll do exactly what we want, even if there's no like real brief. I, ha- I have to like eke it out of them, like bleed them like a rock. But <laughs> I get there eventually. And I think that just being faced with the idea that this is a brand that produces content in our niche or in these niches, it makes them feel better than just working with a quote-unquote photographer who takes pictures. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how how have you found bringing on other freelancers and managing them? I, I, and I noticed like on your website, you you list their names, don't you? Have their faces like... Yeah, I mean, I've asked all of them if they'd be happy for me to list their names there. And of course they are, because if anything, it means more work for them. Like whenever whenever I get a brief they're perfect for, they're always like my first point of call. And it's nice because they're all my friends. I mean, these aren't like random people I've found on the internet. These are people I've worked with on quite a few projects and I trust wholeheartedly with like my accounts and my business. So it's really good. The only point of contention is when I'm working with big agencies as just a photographer, they look me up on Instagram and they're like, is this you? Because it's just full of boys. And I'm like, yes, but all the, all the work you're looking for is under my own agency brand, which uh, <laughs> sometimes is confusing for people, but I'm, I'm trying to work out how to delineate that better. I noticed that you call yourself like a social first photographer. Like, yeah. Was that something that came from client need as well? So I've pretty much worked out through uh, market research and competitor analysis. Yes, yes, creative folk, you need to do that too. Like, it's not, <laughs> that is something any business has to do, I think. And I eventually realized that most of the work I was getting was creating content for social channels primarily. Uh, other uses would be born of the images later on because, I mean, they are assets. Usually, like, my clients need them in certain formats so they can use them over a long period of time, depending on how much usage they've specified. But basically, I realized that, hey, everyone is looking for content for social because that's where they have an ever-hungry audience of people consuming media nonstop every day. And it was really hard for me, I guess, and I saw this in my research, it was really hard for me to kind of break into that 1% of jobs who are shooting like international campaigns. That's something that I think you really have to build up to. There's no easy, straight, fast way to get there. That is something that comes with a lot of trust in the industry and building a really good reputation. But one thing I could brand myself as was someone very knowledgeable in what the market needs now. So they need agile solutions. They need people who understand the platforms, what works well, what doesn't. And that's how I market myself as well. And it's been working pretty well. <laughs> Talking about marketing, like how do you put yourself out there as the studio? 
a lot of it still comes from me as a photographer. For my outreach, for me reaching out to people, I utilize mostly Instagram and LinkedIn. I literally find people who I think are doing good work and are doing the kind of work that I do. So I'm looking for like um, art directors, art buyers, creative directors, integrated producers, project managers. They have a whole host of names and they're all on LinkedIn. And you know what? If you actually take the time to message people, and I don't mean, hi, uh, I found you on LinkedIn. Can I add you? Uh, will you look at my work? That never happens. Uh, they usually go, okay, and then that's the end. Usually, you really have to dig deep. You have to go find their website, go see what campaigns they've worked on, go see if, if they even do the kind of work that you do. <laughs> there have been a few times where I've like messed up a little bit, and I've messaged like a, a, an After Effects motion, uh, motion graphics producer with my work, and they're just like, Nice portfolio. I don't do anything like remotely similar, but nice work. And I'm just there like shaking my head like, oh, whoops. But most of the time, you will get a response. And a fair few times, the response is enough to just start that conversation. And once you're in it, then that's when you can start asking the other person for advice or if you can take a little bit of their time to show you, to show them your work. And I have to say, through LinkedIn, I've worked on a whole host of like very big accounts. Like my Jurex shoot was from LinkedIn. A recent thing I did for Disney was with a producer who took me on a Top Golf campaign earlier this year and remembered me uh, for this Disney thing that we did. And that was through LinkedIn. And it doesn't always have to quote unquote convert into a project. Like you are not, if you think about it, how often is it that you are like there and available and at the top of someone's mind when they have the perfect brief for you then and there in their hands? That is a very rare circumstance. But if you show them the kind of work that you do that they want to see, chances are you might come to mind when they do get that brief for you. Uh, it, it works a lot less on Instagram. I think Instagram is um, not as good a platform as LinkedIn for reaching out to people professionally. I get lots of uh, not safe for work pictures sent to me on Instagram as well. So <laughs> like that inbox of mine is really not that like. I love that going after the individuals within the industry or the companies yeah. rather than approaching the companies themselves and building those relationships. Oh gosh, no, you can't, you can't like, I've learned this now this past year. This past year for me has been really learning about the all business, all professional interactions. People say like business to client, business to business. None of that exists because businesses are made up of people. So the only one that is real is like human to human. And that approach so far has got me really good results. I mean, the second you start treating people like a member of a faceless corporation, it's not going to go very far. You really have to dig deep and talk to them as a person you're genuinely interested in talking to. Mm. How do you find managing your 
your time given that <laughs> I can't decide whether that was a good inhalation or bad. <laughs> I, I needed to take a breath for that. Uh, I was really, I was scared of this question because I know it's your specialty, um, work-life balance, um, and like the time management that comes with that. Um, I'm actually not that great at managing my time, although it is something I'm working on. I find that my life situation right now, like just got a new dog. My partner is in a job that it's not new. I mean, he's been there like five, six months now, but you know, there's always the uh, getting used to things sort of period. And just, I guess my personality, I'm not one who sticks to schedules that tightly, but when I do, I see amazing results and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should do more of this yeah, this works. Like, you know, knowing what you're about to do that day. Because I have to schedule things roughly because as a freelance photographer, sometimes I get like estimate requests and stuff at very short notice. And uh, sometimes I will get people who have asked for an estimate or a treatment in March messaging me in June going like, can we do this in three days? And it's like, oh, okay. But I think time management comes with intent. So if you are intent on managing your time and, you know, measuring where you are spending your time and whether or not that's working for you, that's where I think you get growth and progress and development. Uh, And that's where I would like to be. (laughs) I'm currently not there. I'm currently still like writing things on little index cards and post-its and um, trying to organize my life. But I'm slowly, slowly building up a better way of working i think as a freelancer uh i had one coach who recommended basically building up an operations manual for your business so you kind of break down all the major aspects of work and you kind of put that in like a book or a pdf or something that way you're doing things not just consistently but you kind of have an overview of your process and if you do get sick or whatever you can hand it off to a trusted partner and they can do it a similar sort of look to what you do it's really hard for me because i don't know if i if i have just one way of working i I think i have several but uh so and in answer to your question how do i manage my time badly but i'm working on it (laughs) (laughs) and how about the actual work-life balance like do you manage to I don't know, switch off at the weekend or in the evening. In fact, for that matter, do, do you work from home? Well, obviously, you shoot on locations and stuff, but are you based at home? Yes, because I have a home office and a home studio. Um, there's pictures of it on the Studio Ventana website if you want to see my dog, although I think the picture of the dog is our last dog, Charlie. Uh, we have a new chihuahua now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do work from home quite a fair bit. Although, there, you know what? There are some days when I'm like... I want to get away from everything and I, I chewed it down to like Covent Garden and I, and I work like in a cafe because I feel like a real London freelancer when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel part of the club, like working there with my laptop and my seven pound coffee. But um, to answer the first question about work-life balance, do I switch off on weekends? No, because my partner's days off are Thursdays and Sundays. So those are the days I mainly... Uh-huh. Like, quote-unquote, switch off. But you know what? To be honest with you, as someone in the creative industry and a freelancer and someone who is 
unadmittedly addicted to his phone. Like, um, it's really hard to switch off. It takes a conscious effort. But when I do, when I do leave my phone in the car for a walk in the National Trust, I feel so good. I feel, I feel like a weight is like lifted off me and I'm not at the constant beck and call of like one person asking how retouching is going and another person asking me about coloramas and another person asking me how to amend the quote and... Like these are things always like churning in the back of my mind, and like I have an Apple Watch, so I'm I actually seem like a very rude person who's just checking the the time all the time. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just I'm just seeing which email has taken precedence in my mind for my clients. But um, I think it's healthy to have time away from all of that, which we try to do. We we both we both like nature a lot. We live in front of a national trust property, <laughs> like. It's so important for both me and my partner to take the time to spend together and without our phones, I think, uh, mm. which is something we're trying to do more and more. But it's really hard. Although I have to say, being a freelancer, let me go on holiday like when I, whenever I wanted this year, like finances allowing, uh, which is something you can't do if working in an office. I would have been fired really quick with all the... I, I think I've literally taken two and a half months off this year so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't... A lot of that happened, like, very last minute. Like, got a friend who was getting married in Bali, and a job I was supposed to work on, like, got deferred, so I booked a ticket, like, the week before. And then... My family was coming to Italy, so I booked flights to meet them. But my partner said that we hadn't been abroad in like two, three years now, so we should book that. So we did. We did like a, like a 10,000-mile road trip around Europe uh, from London uh, over three weeks or two and a half weeks. And these are just things you can't really do if you're not freelancing because yeah. no company is going to allow for <laughs> what is between two to three months a year of like time off. But on the flip side, because I was freelancing, that means that my London rent, my London expenses, uh, and all of those other things still had to be paid. And I wasn't making money on holiday. I mean, money was coming in from projects that were finishing up uh, just like in post-production, which I could coordinate remotely. But I wasn't shooting while I was out. So... There's all these things you have to consider, I guess, being a freelancer. Like, time and money are a lot closer in terms of correlation. Because, mm-hmm. like, it was fine for my partner. He was being paid for those two and a half weeks that we were around Europe. I was not. So, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and ooh, let me figure ooh. out the lie. What yes. do you have for me, Ira? Uh, I once shot a summer fashion campaign in the middle of a blizzard. (laughs) I have once guided a model on set to simulate an orgasm. Or I've dunked a male model into a bathtub full of honey. (laughs) Oh, God, I hope that's not true. Right. You, where where were you when you had a blizzard? London. What? Oh, but as in you have to shoot summer shoots way before the summer. Yeah. So how it normally works for us is we usually shoot um, like next quarter's campaigns, the previous quarter. So if you're shooting 
a summer campaign, you usually do it like near the end of spring or in the middle of spring. How did you get around making it look summery when there was clearly snow? I had to get extremely creative, but I basically had to direct it. And I had a very talented DOP, like a director of photography with me. Because you have to remember, these girls are in like summer clothes. It wasn't a very great set to be on because like we were all like, oh my gosh, like we're freezing our tits off here. But we basically took every moment that the clouds broke and the sun came through a little bit to get the shots we needed. We were literally sweeping snow off the streets just to get certain shots for the company. Hmm. Next. So you're on a shoot and you need them to orgasm. Yeah. What was the product? Well, the product was lubricant. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Oh, I don't know. But when you asked them to do it, they, they needed direction. Because that's the point. You didn't just say it. They, they, they didn't quite know what to do and you had to show them. Yeah, um, hmm, I guess it doesn't come naturally to people to do it like on command, I guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then next you put a model in a, uh, well, maybe it wasn't a bath, but in my head it's a bath full of honey. It was a, it was a bath, yes. <laughs> full of honey? Yes. To be honest, I, I mixed it with uh, golden syrup just because honey is really expensive. So like, <laughs> some some of it was honey, some of it was golden syrup. I had to, I had it was it was a personal project, so I had to sort of like. <laughs> that would just be horrific. How did they cope with getting it off afterwards? I left that up to them. <laughs> oh, I mean, they had they were in a bathroom already. So <laughs> true. Yeah. A bathroom full of honey. Uh, look, I don't know. The way you describe mixing it with golden syrup makes me think that that is true because you're right. Honey is expensive. I mean, I didn't use manuka honey or anything, but it was still pretty pricey. <laughs> it is. It is. But fair again, it's golden syrup. I don't know. But equally, that just sounds horrific. But I can get that it might look cool in a photo. Blizzard Summer, that one almost doesn't sound true just because we don't get that many blizzards in London where the snow settles that well. It does happen, though. Maybe you got unlucky. And then as for the orgasm one, I mean, God, who knows? Um, <laughs> I imagine it's an art form in itself making that face. But why would you? You're going to have to choose one. <sighs> I don't think you did the bath full of honey. You're right. Yes. <laughs> also because that would completely, I guess, wreck my bathroom. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, now you mention it. Because you would have to scoop it out. It couldn't go just down the plug hole. Yeah, you can't just drain that. Can you imagine calling up a plumber and saying my entire sewage system is wrecked because I poured 200 liters of honey <laughs> down there uh, excellent okay now if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be before that though can i just put as a disclaimer uh for anyone listening to this especially people i've worked with that orgasm shot that was a lifestyle photo face not recognizable the model was of legal age uh she was also female so as a gay man it was both entertaining and extremely difficult for me to get her <laughs> where she needed to go but 
that was an actual request from the client because they wanted her to flex her arm realistically for the shot. But no, that was not some kinky sort of personal project. Uh, like, <laughs> that was actually in a commercial set. Um, but if there was something I could tell my younger self, I'd like to think of myself as still young, but if I, if I, if I could tell something to like my very young self, it would be shoot more of what you love. Uh, stop comparing yourself to everyone around you. I know that's really hard to do when you're young because it's basically your only reference point for the rest of the world. Even worse now with social media. But just try to find what makes you happy, what gives you like flow experiences. I'm not going to go into that very much, but it's something I do believe in because I have experienced it. And you have to keep at it. The number of times I've told myself, I give up, I'm going to go be a doctor. No, just kidding. I, <laughs> where I've just been like, no, like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Like, I don't know if there's a future in this. I don't know if this is what I'm meant to do. If you keep on doing it, in spite of all the reasons why you might have thoughts like that, then you probably really want to do this and you should just keep at it because that really is the only way. There is no shortcut. There is no magic bullet. You just have to work hard, work in the area that you want to work in because you have to have that end goal in mind, at least roughly, have some idea. I know when people start out as photographers, and I did this too when I was really young, like, you do everything, portraits, events, still life, e-com, fashion, corporate, dogs, weddings, everything, <laughs> everything, food. But when you start to find out what makes you happy, and I know that's really hard to do. I mean, Marie Kondo built a whole career getting people to touch clothes to know if they want them. But once you find, once you find that thing that does excite you even just a little bit, and makes you more curious and makes you more interested and makes you happy, I guess, or gives you a feeling, like wakes you up inside a little bit. Explore that, like sink your teeth into it, like go to a library, look at photo books, you know, it's not just Instagram, there's loads of places to find inspiration and like work that relates to your work. Um, so yeah, like keep at it, consume more media in a good way and don't give up. <laughs> Ira, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com and click through so that you can find him wherever he is online, be it social and obviously with his work stuff as well. So that's at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, check out the other episodes, the videos, the articles and click on community and come and join us in the Being Freelance community. It'd be great to see you in there along with loads of other freelancers from around the world. It's a really nice place to be and it'd be awesome to see you there I should too. join that too. You shouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Come join. There you are. By the time you get in there, Ira should already be in there. Yeah. So you can come find us in there as well. And if you're a freelance parent, don't think. Don't forget the other podcast I do, Search for Doing It for the Kids. And myself and Frankie will see you on that podcast, which is much short. It's just like 20 minutes Q&A style podcast, but it's a lot of fun. And it would be great to have you over there as well. But for now, thank you so much, Ira, and all the best being freelance. Thanks, Steve. That was fun. 